Welcome to Christian Life Church Podcast. Please subscribe to our channel. In the Gospel of John, chapter 14, Jesus speaking to his disciples gives a full disclosure of why he's here, why he is about to die, and what that actually means for them and indeed for us as human beings. In John 14, verse 6, it says this, Jesus answering questions, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And listen to this phrase, and no one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, verse 6. Father, I pray you bless the reading of your word to us this morning as our hearts just begin to engage with the most glorious story ever told, the story of a God who so loved each one of us that he sent his son Jesus into our broken world and brought healing and life and restoration to every heart that encountered that love. Lord, I pray you would move by your spirit in the silence of our our souls. You would speak to us with prophetic insight and wisdom. I pray, Lord God, that you would minister to us as only you can minister to the deep places and recesses of our lives in Jesus' precious name. And somebody said, Amen. Amen. Okay. So today is Father's Day. In case you hadn't already picked that up, (laughs) um, we're here celebrating the earthly glorious gift of a father to us. Now, if you're uh, the kind of person whose father wasn't necessarily an earthly gift, then what you're about to hear this morning, I think, is a heavenly gift. It's a revelation of the heart of God as a father for you, the father perhaps you've been searching for all your life, the father you hoped existed. And um, Jesus came to bring us to that revelation. He came to bring us to understand that our God, the God that we're singing about and worshiping and adoring this morning, is actually a father, a father who delights in his children. Anybody would like one of them? Hello? A father who delights in his children. You know, I grew up in a very chaotic home. My brother, he, he knows that. Very busy people, all kinds of stuff going on. But I can't honestly say that I recall any day in my childhood where I thought for one second that my father delighted in me. I think he tolerated me. To be honest, I tolerated him. It was a mutual affection, I think, of some description. (laughs) I think he was frustrated by me. I wasn't perhaps everything he had hoped I would be. Well, equally, I was as frustrated with him. No one would say that we had the best of relationships. But can you imagine for a moment with me, in spite of what your earthly experiences have been with fatherhood, that you actually believed and embraced this truth, that you and I have a heavenly father who's not angry with you. He's not disappointed in you. Do you know why he's not disappointed? Because he didn't have any expectations in the first place. His love is not reliant on what you do. His love is completely given to you because of who you are. How good is that today? He delights in you. I often speak to Christians and they think God tolerates them. But God actually delights in you. Zephaniah 3.17, one of my favorite passages of the Old Testament, it's like the John 3.16 of the New Testament, it says, The Lord your God in the midst of thee is mighty to save. He rejoices over you with singing. Can you believe that? He rejoices over you with singing. You provoke in the heart of God the most glorious, adoring, affectionate song. Amen. Come on, you miserable so-and-sos. Amen. So when Jesus says to us, you know, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he's not just speaking to us in theological terms. He's telling us that there's a destination, a place where we can live, where we can abide, where we can be completely at home and fulfilled. And that revelation that Jesus is inviting us to is the revelation of his father and our father. In fact, when asked, 
how to live the life that Jesus was living, he starts with that very phrase. This is where it all begins. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What Jesus is inviting us to is not a concept, but a truth, a reality, a place to live in and to live from. And it's one thing, I think, for us today to sing songs about the love of the Father. It's a whole other thing for us to live in the fullness of that love, to know him as we are known by him, to live with the affection of the heavenly Father that we worship and adore every moment of every day, in every circumstance, in every situation of our lives. That's the goal of God. That's the desire of God, that we would live in the reality of his love. I want to take you to a scripture this morning that a number of years ago just kind of blew me apart, if I'm honest. And um, we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke. On this uh, earthly Father's Day, we're going to celebrate our Heavenly Father's reality. Luke chapter 15. It's a bit of a long passage, and uh, if you have the Bible now on some kind of app or whatever, you're going to have to turn pages because there'll be a few extra scriptures, okay, for you to to look at Luke chapter 15 and this particular story comes right in the middle of a cluster of stories where Jesus is trying to communicate to the people who were listening to him that was a mixture of people his disciples devoted followers and indeed other people who had religious authority in positions around him and he's trying to disclose to these people what God is really like this is how God really operates and moves. This is what's important to God. This is what's valuable to God. And there's a whole set of stories here about things that are lost. And right at the center of this particular cluster of stories is this story about a boy in a house with a father and a brother who somehow loses his way in life. Let's read it together. We're going to start from verse 11 of Luke 12. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. And so he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had and set off to a distant land where he squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that land and he began to become someone in need. So he went and he hired himself out to the citizens of that country who sent him to his field to feed pigs. Oh, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, a very crucial part of this particular story. When he came to his senses, I think the authorized version says when he came to himself, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him, and he ran to his son and threw his arms around him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And so they began to celebrate this particular story, I think for many of us, seems to have a nuance to it that perhaps is unhelpful. Um, sometimes familiarity with the scriptures can cause us to not see certain things. And one of the things, one of the presumptions I think we have about this story is that what Jesus is trying to communicate is that there are people inside relationship with God and there are therefore people outside of relationship with God. And on the surface, that may look like this is that type of story because we know that there are people who are devoted followers 
dedicated lovers of God, and there are people who are living their lives outside of the parameters or indeed the arena of that kind of love. But actually, that's not what this particular scripture is trying to show us. You will notice, as I have noticed, I've read it many times, that both of these young men live in the same house. Both of these young men sit at the father's table. Both of these young men are the benefactors of the father's generosity. Both of these young men are listening to the wisdom and revelation of this incredibly wealthy individual who has succeeded in all kinds of ways within the context of his culture. So this is not a story about people who are outside of the church. This is a story about those who are in the house of God. So today, as we think about that, how does that apply to our lives? Well, the first thing I want to suggest to you is just because you're in the Father's house doesn't mean that your heart is connected to the Father's love. Just because you're listening to the Father speak doesn't mean that your heart is engaged with the beauty of what he's saying. Just because you're putting your hands in the air and singing your songs of great affection and delight on this Father's Day doesn't mean that you're living in the fullness of that kind of relationship that's afforded to you. You see, in this particular context, location, location, location isn't everything. There are many times, if we're honest, that people can be sitting in church and their hearts can be far away from God, can't they? Many times we say the right things, but our hearts betray the true things that are going on inside of us. I've been around this long enough to know that just because uh, there's a place full of people doesn't mean that there's a people full of grace. Doesn't mean that everyone's experiencing the same love, devotion, and delight that the Father longs to bring them. And it's not God that's withholding. Sometimes we are withholding. We are holding our hearts back from the affection and the tenderness and the beauty of being in relationship with God. So here we are on Father's Day, and we're listening to the Father speak through His Word, I hope, and we're worshiping the Father in all that He's done and all that He has given to us, but it does not guarantee that your heart is intertwined and connected in intimacy and devotion to the Father. And the truth is the same for this young man. Now, just because I go to McDonald's does not make me a hamburger. Now, I know some of you are looking at me and suggesting I've had a really good try at that. Okay, I can tell, I can read minds. Just because you're in church does not make you a Christian. You see, being a Christian is so much more than having something to do or a place to be. Being a Christian is living in a tender, beautiful, fantastic relationship with the God who loves and delights in you. It's always about relationship, not about religion or process. So we must be very careful because we can be sitting in the Father's house, eating the Father's food, listening to the Father's voice, but our hearts, our hearts can be far away from the Father. Does that make sense to anybody? The second thing I notice in this story is when my heart begins to become far from the Father, I start making demands on God. And this young man is no different to anyone in this room. In fact, his demands are so extreme, they're punishable by death. I don't think your demands are quite at that level yet, but the day is young. <laughs> Who knows what you pray for later? I sometimes listen to people's prayers and I think, you're demanding that from God. You, you know, here's what we do. We say, your word says, like somehow we're going to hold God. Like God doesn't need to be held to his word. It's we who are held accountable to his word. Think. When your heart is slightly ajar from God, it's not about relationship, and it can so easily become about what you can get. And the problem with that is, God doesn't always do things the way you would like to do. The amount of people over the years I've walked with Jesus who are offended with God because they didn't get what they wanted, when they wanted it, how they wanted it, 
whether it's a husband or a wife or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or a car or a house or a job or a position or a ministry, so many people are walking around offended because God didn't do for them what they told God they needed Him to do. When your heart is not in love with someone, it's so easy for that to become some kind of commodity brokering. You do this for me and I'll do that for you. And that just doesn't work with God. You know, when I first became a Christian, I used to do that all the time. God, if you just do this, I'll do this. And one day God said to me, well, do it anyway. Just do it anyway. Just, you know, read your Bible anyway. <laughs> I was bargaining with God over things that I should have been doing and could have been doing without having to get something out of it other than just the pleasure of knowing him and being with him, which is the greatest reward above any earthly thing that God can give you. Jesus didn't come to give you trinkets and treasures. He came to give you life. He came to give you fullness. Come on, wake up, church. He came to fill and flood your heart with the extreme powerful love of a father who delights in you. It's not his hand that we're after, it's his heart. But just like the story, when your heart is slightly ajar from intimacy and connectivity with the Father, you can, like this young man, fool yourself into thinking you're in some form of relationship, but that relationship is self-serving and self-seeking. And this young man takes that whole thought right to the extremes. He wishes his father dead. He wishes his father dead. He's saying, can you hurry up and die? Happy Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Could you just snuff it really quick? Because I want all of this. I want what you have to offer. I just don't want who you are. I want all of the inheritance, but I don't want the connection. Can you hear me, church? It's so easy. It's so easy to be in this for the wrong reasons. And so he does as everybody has to do when their heart becomes disconnected from God. He distanced himself from the one place above all places where his identity, his authority, and his position and the love of the Father is afforded to him and lavished upon him on a daily basis. I look back over the 37 years I've walked with Jesus. It's probably longer than that. I'm just going to stick with 37 because then I'll give away my age. Is that okay? I'll be 316 for the 37 years I've walked with Jesus. And I've watched people, not consciously or intentionally, but there were people who used to be at the front of this very church with their hands raised high, and they were passionately in love with Jesus. And now, life, stuff, maybe they didn't get from God what they wanted. I've even witnessed people who've been up on the platform in baptism services saying, I love Jesus. Jesus has changed my world. And you know, they maybe were trying for a baby and that didn't happen the way they expected it to. And they went from the front seat to the second seat to the third seat to the fourth seat. And over time, they drifted off the back of the church. The problem with these little distances between us and God is we have no idea how far they will take us. That little offense... That little moment where you think the Father hasn't done for you what he, you think he should do for you, it sets a little block between you and God. And because you have to fill that gap in your life with something, you will always go searching for something other than the very thing that brings life. And this young man is no different. And so he goes out into the world... <laughs> hoping to find, listen to this, what he already has. He goes in search of life. <laughs> I remember leading a youth group once, and um, this young man came to me, and uh, I used to have this gift of knowing when people had sexually sinned. Don't worry, it's faded. <laughs> you know, and... Uh, and I used to be known in the youth group as, as the kind of, you know, the, the, the sex buster or whatever the term was. 
And so they come along to the youth group, and I would just sense off people. I suppose out of my own sexual brokenness, God had heightened my sensitivities to things. And um, I started chatting to this young man, and I'm asking him questions, you know, how is your week been, blah, 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 blah. And I said, oh. And he went, no. <laughs> I said, oh, you've had sex this week. He said, no. I said, yes. He said, no. I said, no, yes. And he said, yes. I said, how did that happen? He said, we just fell into sin. I mean, he had to get in his car and drive to the hotel. <laughs> he had to plan it weeks in advance. He'd been courting this girl on and off for a while and engineering a moment, but he just fell. It's almost like this accidental tourism. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> you don't fall into sin. You plan it. Come on, church. You savor it in here and in here before it ever turns up out here. You've thought about it, calculated it, worked it out, and you've considered it a worthwhile exploit without paying too much attention to the price. And where does all of that come from? See, if my heart is not filled with the love of God, I will fill it with the love of something else. And I don't have to go too far in my life to find something else that will steal my affection. And yet, he was in the Father's house. And yet, he enjoyed the Father's favor. And yet, he received the Father's blessing. Please, please, never underestimate how easy it is for any of us in this room, in incremental measures, to become more and more detached from the one person, the one person in this world that offers us life. And that's what happened. He takes the inheritance and he goes off. But the story doesn't end there. In his pursuit of the thing he already had, which is ironic, he ends up squandering his inheritance and finds himself in a place he never imagined he would. I think it would be true to say that when I hear of a colleague in the ministry that falls, my heart just drops another foot. And sadly, in spite of all of the encouragements you may or may not give to the people you do this journey with, some people incrementally and consistently will find themselves in a place or a space where if you'd asked them five years ago, none of us could ever imagine they would be. It's a subtle and slippery road that leads us to a place of disarray. And in this story, this boy with all these wild dreams about life and love finds himself in the most horrendous place. For a Jewish young man to be anywhere near pigs was considered absolutely heinous to their spirituality. And yet not only is he near them, He's sleeping with them. He rests his head where their heads rest. And such is the dis disempowerment of his life that he longs for the very things that the pigs are eating. He is desperate to satisfy the cravings of his soul and the human cravings of his life, even with the husks that the pigs are eating. There's a little phrase just before that part of the scripture. It says that he hired himself out. You know, I've watched over the years, people make these little gaps get bigger and bigger and people end up in stuff and you think, gosh, how did that happen? Like it's an overnight thing. It's taken many, many days, weeks, months, years sometimes for people to move so far out of the blessing of the Father's love. But actually, there comes a point in every one of those journeys where that which you pursue pursues you. 
When it uses that phrase, he hired himself out, it's simply stating to us the facts as we know them, that we have an enemy. We have victory in Christ Jesus. We have the affection and the love of the Father. All of that is true. The benevolence of God will astound you. It will astound you and keep astounding you as you walk. But you have an adversary as much as you have an advocate. And that adversary is Satan. And he wants to destroy everything in your life he can get his hands on. And anything that's precious between you and God is a target for his agenda. And in this story, this boy tries to find life. But he hires himself out. In other words, he gives the rights and the ownership of his life and his well-being to someone else. You just be so careful, I need to be so careful that these tiny little incremental choices not to fall in love and be in love with God can cause me to end up in a place where not only am I sleeping with pigs, but I'm eating what pigs eat. And in that moment between those two places, the father's house and the pigsty, I will have sold my soul do you hear me, church? To the highest bidder, I would have sold my soul to someone or something that has so taken over my life, I am no longer able to make choices. You see, addiction is an interesting thing. Most people who end up experimenting with all kinds of chemicals and uh, you know, alcohol, they start out being in charge. They start out being able to control, but there's a moment whenever they cannot live or function without the substance. At that point, they are no longer in control. At that point, someone else has the ownership of their heart and life. At that point, they are subject like a slave to the demands that that addiction or that substance places upon them. You think you're beyond that? Do you think we're beyond that? And you know, people get addicted to all kinds of things. Fame, money, position. This young man never believed this could ever happen to him. And yet he finds himself in the worst place with the worst life he could ever, ever think could possibly be true. But something amazing happens. The Bible uses the phrase, he came to himself. Put it locally, he woke up. Aren't you grateful that God doesn't allow you in your pigsty? to fall asleep amongst the husks? Aren't you grateful that the Spirit of God knows no bounds or limits and will not stop until He relents to get you to a place where you can see something? Aren't you grateful? Aren't you wonderfully grateful that you can go to the ends of the earth? You can be as far away from God as you have run and yet He is there? Aren't you grateful to God that no matter how ridiculous it looks, how unable you are to fathom it out. He stands with you in the midst of your chaos and he speaks life. Aren't you grateful that the Spirit of God will not allow you to go beyond the reach of God, which is forever and ever and amen? If I run to the ends of the earth, you are there. If I go to the depths of the sea, you are there. Church, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, neither heights, nor depths, nor principalities or powers, anything seen or unseen, nothing except you, except you, you plonker, <laughs> you. I had a story yesterday when we were cleaning up of a young girl who attends our church and uh, I just get so blessed by these stories. They just remind me of the supernatural capacity of the Father who delights in us. I think her name is Jojo. I don't know if you're in this morning, Jojo. But Jojo comes from Thailand. A young lady, I think, probably early 20s. Never heard about Jesus. Had nothing to do with Christianity. And Jesus visits her in a dream. And it's such a powerful dream that the following morning when she wakes up, 
She has to find out about Jesus. And she Googles Jesus. She Googles Jesus, whatever you ask, imagine, or Google. She Googles Jesus, and she starts to find out that this man called Jesus came from heaven because the Father loved the world and died on a cross because the Father loved every human being. And he gave his life so she could be free from her sin and her pain. And right there in February of this year, without attending a church or knowing anything about the Bible, Jojo gives her heart away. She takes her most precious gift, and she gives it to the God of her life. And she's walked with him since February. I tell you what, what wonder is there in the fact that whether we go to the pigsty or the palace, wherever we're running to from God, God can reach his people. God can touch his people. Come on, wake up, church. God knows who you are. He knows where you live. And he will never stop seeking and searching for that which is lost. So the boy has a moment. <laughs> Thank God for these moments. He has, I think in the Anglican church, they would call it an epiphany. We would just call it revelation. He wakes up, perhaps for the first time in a long time, he gets a whiff of himself. <laughs> perhaps as he's standing there, full of pig dung, he realizes there was a time in his life where he sat at the father's table and he had all the privileges of the father's house and servants running around after him. Whatever it was that happened, thank God it happened. And I believe the Holy Spirit in this story opened his eyes to how far and how distant he had become to the, to the heart of the father. And so he makes a choice. And that choice is to go home. There are people here this morning, this afternoon, you just need to go home. You need to go. I don't mean now. Let me finish first. But you just need, <laughs> you just need a homecoming. You need to come home. You've been running so long from God. You've been hiding yourself in work. You've been pretending it was COVID. Come home for goodness sake. Come back for goodness sake. If nothing can separate us, don't let anything separate you from the love that you desperately need as a human being. Get up in your brokenness. Get up in your weariness. Get up in your fragmented, painful life and say, I am coming home. I'm coming back to the heart of God. I'm coming back to the reality of Jesus. I'm coming home. And so he starts, as most people would, where there's a homecoming, to rehearse what he's going to say. Have you ever done this with God? I'll tell him this, that'll move him. I'll promise him that, that'll rouse him. It's a long journey home. That's what I'll do. I'll, I'll tell him I'll serve. I'm not worthy to be called your son. I'll just be a servant. Oh, what if he doesn't like that? Oh, I, I tell him that I'll give all my money to the poor. Well, I don't like that. I've got any money to give, so I won't be able to do that. And he starts home. And look at this, look at this. This is so precious to me. While he was still a long way away from home, okay, the father, the father sees him. And here's what he does, church. He lifts his garments up, which was a mark of disgrace or dishonor, such a a proud, wealthy man, he lifts, he exposes his vulnerability and he runs to greet his son. He runs. There's no kind of, let's see how he does. Two more steps, boy. Let's a little something. Let's give me a little something to work with. None of that. The father lifts his. It's not the boy running. It's the father. Do you hear me, church? The father runs. And wherever you are today on that journey home, you may be one step in or 20. Your heavenly Father is waiting in the starting blocks. He's coming for you. He's coming for you. He's not too proud to unveil himself, not too grand to stand in his stature. 
he lifts his garments and he runs towards you. Oh, thank God for the running father in this story. When I turn just a little way back to him, he runs to greet me. Amen, amen, and amen. Amen. Come on, amen, and amen. Why did the father run? Of course it was love and affection, but here's another thing to pay attention to. If the boy was seen by the village in which he lived, he would have been stoned to death. Under Jewish law, to wish your father dead in such a manner was a stonable offense under the Hebraic law, and he would have lost his life completely. And the father, well, he just runs to greet him and to prevent that catastrophe from happening. Now, it doesn't say this in the scriptures, but I love this thought. When you've been walking a long time, you've got things to say. Have you ever tried to do this with God? You know, you, you got, you're going to say this, and I'm going to say that, and you've rehearsed it, and you've practiced it, and these are the outcomes you're hoping for. It doesn't say this, but I think when they got close together, as tears filled both their eyes, oh, Lord Jesus, be preciously here with us today. Just be here with us, Jesus, today. The father puts his hand over the boy's mouth. I don't need to hear what you have to say. The fact that you're here says everything to me. I believe the father put his hand, no rhetoric, no fancy words, no token prayers, no white lies with the hope that you'll change. Just stand in your own brokenness, stand in your rags, stand in your filth, stand honestly before me, look me in the eye and know this one thing, you could never lose my heart, you could never lose my affection, for my love was never given to you based on what you do. My love was given to you because I love you with an everlasting love. And so he tells the servants, get the calf ready. Do you know I want to say prophetically over this house, there are going to be so many prodigals coming home. All we're going to be able to do is get the calf ready. Who is the most unhappy person in this story? The calf. The calf. If you were the calf, this is a bad day. Isn't it? I remember at Bible college, we were debating this narrative and thinking, who was the most delighted and therefore who was the most unhappy? And I remember being a smart alligator said, I think it was the calf. It was the calf. Do you know prodigals are going to return to Jesus in this hour? They're already coming. Are you here this morning, my friends? They're already coming. Thank you, Jesus. So he takes a cloak, the robe, and he places it over the stench of the boy. Do you know when you make one step towards God and the Father runs towards you, he takes the robe of righteousness, the righteousness of Christ Jesus, and he covers your filthy rags with his righteousness. Amen. 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 It is done. It is finished. Thank you, Jesus. He gives him a ring on his finger. In those days, the ring would be the place that you would have an authority. There'd be a crest of some description or some word that would seal certain important documents. And that ring speaks of an authority. Not only is he restored fully spiritually, but he's also restored to his fullness of authority. Not a servant in the house, but a son of the house. They put shoes on his feet, sandals, I would suppose. When you had no money or nowhere to belong or no place to call home, you would be barefooted. But when you belonged somewhere and you were part of a community and you were considered valuable and special amongst that community, you would have shoes that represented a place that you could call home. Today on this Father's Day, we have a good, good Father. We have a Father who delights to give good gifts to His children. And do you know the best gift He could ever give you was the fullness of His love. There's another boy in this story. He's in the background. It's the older brother. And when all of this happens, this great celebration is taking place, 
he hears the commotion in the background and asks his servant what's happening. And the servant says, your brother has returned. The boy in the field is indignant. He's angry. He's so angry, he rushes to the house to confront the father. And the father greets him at the door with a smile as wide as the Grand Canyon. And he says, this son of mine was lost, but now he is found. And the brother says, really? Are you kidding me? Are you off your trolley? It doesn't say that in the scripts, but I think it... <laughs> I think it's close. <laughs> Whatever words or no words you seek to use, this is a moment of absolute vile indignance. You can't read it any other way. This, this is what the boy says, the older brother. This son of yours, not my brother, this son of yours, after all he has done against us as a family, you have a party for him? And I've been here all the time. And I served on the welcome team. And I came every Sunday to worship. And I've tithed even when it was hard to tithe. And I've prayed for people I don't like. Because someone told me I should. What about me? What about my party? Don't I deserve a little celebration? <laughs> really? The father says, son, everything I have is already yours. You see the problem with this story? I have a problem with the story. My problem is I'm both sons. I'm wayward and self-righteous. Not you. I don't mind my own brokenness, but I tell you what, I'm going to point out yours. <laughs> I don't mind God forgiving me, but when he starts to forgive you, how double dare he, how double dare he do that. And that's why Jesus is telling us this story because both boys were in the father's house. Both boys sat at the father's table. Both boys benefited from the father's affection, but both boys in differing ways, their hearts were far from the truth and the reality of who the Father really is. Let us not mistake religion for relationship. Let us never substitute duty for delight. May we never resort to self-righteousness because it's such an inferior truth when the righteousness of Christ is the only means by which we stand in the presence of God. Whether you're an older brother this morning or afternoon, or a younger brother, you can be in the Father's house, you can sit at the Father's table, you can benefit from the Father's blessing and provision, but your heart may not be close to the Father. Come home whether you are the righteous older brother or the wayward younger son, today, by the grace and mercy of God, come home. I'm coming back to the heart of worship because it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing I've needed. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. It can never be all about him when you've made it all about you. There really simply isn't enough room on the throne of your heart to accommodate two lords. And if we replace the love of the Father with anything in our lives, let me be clear with you. 
it will always lead you to the outer extremities, either of religion or rebellion. Those are your destinations. Whatever offense you have with God this morning, I plead with you in the name of Jesus, ask Him for forgiveness. For to be offended with God simply for me is an eternal matter that will make sense in the sweet by and by, rarely this side of heaven, will I ever fully understand the way God or how God chose to move. And what a waste of all these years of living in the Father's affection and love, of being part of something but never really feeling in, in all that God wants to do, or benefiting from the passionate desire of a Father who doesn't just keep his eyes on you, he can't take his hands off you. Father, on this earthly Father's Day, you who are the running good Father to both types of son, the religious one and the rebellious one, let us both have a moment of clarity where we come to ourselves this morning and make our way home. Why don't you just close your eyes for a moment? I'm under no illusion that when moments like this happen in a church, everything in me wants to run. But my prayer this morning or this afternoon, I have to keep correcting myself. You see, I've been here for a while now. Is that you would run to him, not from him. Heavenly Father, you who see everything in every heart, Will you come by the power of your spirit and minister to your beautiful children, Lord? Some of you this morning need a homecoming. You may have never left the building, but you need to come home to the heart of God as your father, to enjoy his favor, to be blessed and fulfilled in his presence. Come home, come home right now in Jesus' name. Some of you have run so far away from him, it's a miracle you're even still alive, but he has never left you or forsaken you. And it was he, and it is he, that can open your eyes to see that there's a much better life waiting for you. But of course, it's back home, it's back home. Lord Jesus, I can't do any more than I've done in trying to describe how precious a gift we have that you have provided for us because you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. But you came, Lord Jesus, not just to give us religious practices or services. You came that we should know your heavenly Father in all his power, in all his goodness, in all his tenderness, his provision, his protection and Lord Jesus we pray that you who are the way will make a way for us to come home this morning if you want to come back to the father this morning if you want to come back to true love why don't you stand to your feet for me please thank you Thank you. I know there are more of you that need to come home. Come on home, I pray. Some for the first time, some of us for the 900th time, but come home. If you haven't accepted the gift that God has given you in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and to restore you to relationship with God, why don't you stand to your feet? We want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. You need Jesus more than you realize. Do you know, I don't want to be rude, but that's why you're here. Because you've tried everything else and it doesn't work. Come home. Come home for the first time or the 900th time. I don't care. But come home. I'll wait for you. 
I'll wait for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, for some of us today, we need to step beyond our offense. The problem with our offense is it not only holds you at bay, it keeps us trapped. Lord, I pray that the pain of our hearts would subside under the mantle of your grace and your mercy, God. Lord, that you would soften us with the oil of your presence. And Father, those things that have jarred us, they may be huge, they may be small. This morning, Lord God, we give you permission, we grant you permission to access all areas of our heart, Lord. We say, come, Lord. Come, Father, me. Be a father. Be a father to me, Lord. And Lord, some of us, the truth is we relate to you from the distance that we've created because we've never really, haven't really seen what it looks like for a father to love unconditionally. And we're taking our earthly experiences and we're presenting them to you as obstacles. But Lord, you have a way of reaching hearts beyond words, just like you did with Jojo, just like you did with the boy in the story. I pray, God, you would reach us right now by the power of your spirit. And you would come, Lord, and restore the joy of our salvation. Thank you, Lord. So shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, let's do this together, church. Heavenly Father, I thank you that your love for me is a permanent reality. And my prayer is that my love for you will be a permanent reality. If there's any distance between you and me, Father, I ask Jesus to make a way. Restore me. Renew me. Revive me, Lord, that I may be fully alive and fully connected to the God who delights in me. In Jesus' precious name. Oh, what a Savior! Isn't He wonderful? Sing hallelujah! Christ is risen. Come bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Oh, what a Savior, isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah, Christ is risen. Come bow down before him, for he is we stand church I just want to say some things over you as you step into the rest of your week I just want to declare some truth in a world so full of lies You have a heavenly father. You are the seed of the redemption that Jesus has purchased for you. Yeah. 
He lives in you by His Spirit. You carry heaven's DNA in your earthly body. Amen. Amen. You are fathered. That means cared for, protected, cherished, loved, and valued by a true, not a defective, not a corrupt, by a true and living God. Not only is he true, but he's alive, for he has risen. Yes, he has risen. He is yes. alive. And stretch out your hands before him for every good and perfect gift. Every good and perfect, all of those who love you, all the blessings of your life, all the goodness of knowing Him, all the revelation you have because He wakened your heart to truth. Every good and perfect gift comes from Him to you because He is the Father of lights. Someone say Amen. And you have a way to Him. It doesn't end here at the end of this service. For Jesus has made a way where there was no way. And the veil has been rent in two. And you can access the blessing of the Father's love anytime, anywhere, in any context. For heaven is not restricted by geography. It's simply invited by hunger, desire, and an appetite to know God and I want to remind you of this too that nothing <laughs> nothing no thing nothing 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 can separate you can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus nothing no person no demon, no power, no authority, no system. Nothing can separate you. No sin, no shame, no fear. Nothing can separate you from the love of God, the love of God, the love of the Father in Christ Jesus. Neither heights, nor depths, or principalities, or powers, Nothing seen, yeah. nothing unseen can separate you from the love of God. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing it out. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Bow down, bow down, bow down before Him, for He is Lord of all. Sing it out. Sing hallelujah. It's your liberty. Christ, Christ is risen. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, what a Savior. Declare you are Lord of all, and we sing, Hallelujah! 
And now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than anything right now you could ask or imagine. Be glory in the church, that's you, and in Christ Jesus forever and ever. And may goodness and mercy follow you all the days of your life. And may you and I dwell in the house, the home of the Father forever and ever. Amen. God bless you, church. Have the most wonderful week. Those of you who are watching online this morning, have the most wonderful week. May the Lord bless you richly. He is good, you know. He is good.